at the age of 17, I spent some time in Sicily, half a year, mm. working there in a children's home. And uh, I had a very traumatic experience. And that kind of led to a big outbreak of Lyme disease. You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 128, The Undefinable Spirit. Nicole Wiki, Courage, Conviction, and Cure. Welcome to another episode of The Undefinable Spirit with today's guest sitting on the other side of the world a full 16 hours ahead of us in New Zealand, which has gained quite a reputation of late in light of their relative success with managing COVID-19, leading some of us actually to reconsider our current lifestyles and choices on how and where to live. The latest pandemic has bolstered the allure of country living, or at least for more remote, significantly less dense environments. Our guest today is Nicole Wiki, who made country living her reality about 12 years ago. Born and raised in Schaffhausen, the German sector of Switzerland, Nicole currently makes New Zealand her home. In 2007, at the age of 27, she and her husband-to-be moved from Switzerland to New Zealand following a vacation trip there two years before. Five years ago, they bought a 10-acre farm on New Zealand's southern island. Nicole was only eight years old when, while enjoying one of her frequent outdoor adventures, she was bitten and infected by a deer tick and contracted Lyme disease, which left her with a half-paralyzed face before it was even diagnosed. Growing up with this life-altering and often merciless affliction led her to explore a nursing career and eventual occupation as a physiotherapist, where her understanding and appreciation of the human body combined with her lifelong love of nature, she discovered the inseparability and harmony of body and mind in her pursuit of health and happiness. Nicole, greetings from Canada. Welcome to the SIL. appreciate you being here to talk with Harry and I. Hi, thanks. Hi Great to be on the podcast. Nice to yeah. have you here, as I said. And could you tell us a little bit about Lyme disease? There's a lot of controversy over this particular disease in terms of diagnosis and so on. Could you give us a little bit more information on it? Okay, I will try. It's quite a big topic, really, Lyme disease. And as you say, there is a lot of controversy about it. And I think some things are quite clear and then there is quite a lot of stuff that they're still trying to find out or figure out about Lyme disease. So what I know about it, one big thing probably is that once you have it and if you don't catch it in an early stage, it's quite likely that you're going to have it for the rest of your life. And that's just because of the nature of that little bug that makes the Lyme disease. Uh, that's the bug called Borrelia burgdorferi. Mm. It's actually, I think it's a Swiss name. <laughs> and it's a really smart little bug because it can hide in your body own cells. It can also go dormant and hide in that way. So you can't really 
find it and diagnose it and target it with antibiotics because when it's dormant, antibiotics can't really find it and eliminate it as such. Mm. So it can affect all body systems, really. It can affect your muscles, your joints. It can affect your nervous system, can trigger depression, anxiety, and it can also affect your internal organs. So I think that's what makes it really hard sometimes to know, is it Lyme disease if you get something or is it something else, really? So on top of it being difficult, it's very unpredictable. Very unpredictable, yes. Has Lyme disease been the primary influencer in choosing to live a more isolated and quieter life offered on the farm? I would say so, yes. It was a big, big driver towards that in a way. Yeah, definitely yes. And Nicole, it appears that you've had numerous life-changing decisions you've made in your path through life. Can you talk a bit about your early childhood and younger life and did it at all influence these decisions and the way you make them? Yeah, so I grew up in a little village with about 200 inhabitants, not a lot. And I spent a lot of time outdoors. I just loved doing that. And my grandparents, they did own a little hut in a national park close by where I would spend a lot of my holidays and just going out with my grandparents. And they were really great role models in regards to connecting with nature and respecting nature. And we would go out and gather berries and mushrooms and things like that. And I just loved it. And, and I think it, it has been a big influence for me. It was a bit dormant for a while. So um, when I was growing up later, I uh, lived in city kind of, and then it was dormant and came out later on. But I think it, it was a really important part that I had that as a child. Hmm. And at one point in your life, you began to follow a path in nursing. And then at a certain point, you kind of changed course a little bit and began to work in the area of physiotherapy. Can you talk about what made you decide to shift from nursing to physiotherapy? I think the main point was that as a nurse, you work mainly with sick people or sometimes with people that you know they're not going to get better mm -hmm. and that was really really quite frustrating where as a physiotherapist it's more that you work towards improving things so you don't get the really hard cases the sad cases in a way and uh, I found that yeah much better and as a nurse you work a lot with medications and procedures and surgery and, and things like that where as a physiotherapist, you kind of work on the body or with the body and just get a different angle somehow. And I think that was the main driver behind the change for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was there a specific event or condition that triggered your resolve to take direct responsibility for your health and well-being? Yes, there was. So at the age of 17, I spent some time in Sicily, half a year, mm. working there in a children's home. And uh, I had a very traumatic experience. And that kind of led to a big outbreak of Lyme disease. Um, my knee kind of started swelling and being very painful and I could hardly walk. And so I went down the track of 
tested for things and the medications and nothing seemed to help and they couldn't figure out what was the problem and I just got to a point where I had enough of it all and I felt mm. like okay that's not doing the, the trick and uh, yeah that was really quite a changing point in a way where I just said okay I'm just going to do my own thing and take responsibility for my health and try to do whatever I can to help myself and help my body in a way. Right. So you obviously moved away from modern medicine by taking a more active approach in regulating and influencing your own health. Having experienced the traditional medical model and then actively engaging in greater self-care and a more informed approach, what's your current view of traditional Western medicine? Oh, that's a tricky one. <laughs> oh, very good question. Uh-huh. That's a big question. Um, I- it is a big question. <laughs> well, I'm not a big supporter in a way. I do think there is a place for modern medicine and it definitely saves life and it has saved my life in the past. Mm-hmm. What I don't like is that it kind of fails to see the different parts of a human being and what health really means and not just in regards of your body, but also your mind and your soul in a way. So they're all important parts to really be healthy. And the other thing is the categorizing of things. So you've got your body parts, you know, they all have a name and then you've got your illnesses, they all have a name too. Mm -hmm. And a lot of things that are happening in your body are seen as the enemy and need to be switched off where I find sometimes that's important actually to look at at the things and not just go and switch it off and give your body a chance to do its work because your body really always works towards health. It's not doing things to kind of <laughs> limit you or, or annoy you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's just really the holistic approach that I'm missing in modern medicine in a way and taking a lot of pharmaceuticals, that's definitely not something I support. So it's not that you're against it. It's more that you're suggesting they should work together. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that would be really nice if the different um, approaches can work together and learn from each other. And uh, yeah. There was the Black Plague raging in Europe. And it went down as the most devastating pandemic in human history. And as the legend goes, and there are different versions of the story out there, but I'm just going to tell you one of the versions. There were four thieves, and those four thieves went out and robbed the houses of the deceased. And the government wasn't really too concerned. They thought, yeah, okay, (laughs) you know, they're going to get sick and catch the plague and die and problem solved but as it happened those four thieves carried on and didn't fall ill so in time they did get caught and they had to reveal their secret which was this vinegar that protected them from catching the plague so they mainly just applied it externally before entering those houses and um, probably after as well 
And even though it's um, originally been probably just used externally, you can use it as a health tonic as well. Use it in cooking or use it just like a tincture. So Nicole then, has that approach, that holistic approach, changed or altered the way you actually are looking at this COVID virus that we're all uh, dealing with now? Has it changed the way you look at it? I think it has, yes. Um, how so? Uh, how so? First of all, I I wasn't really scared of the virus as such when it kind of came mm-hmm. out right. in a way. But then I've dealt with a lot of things throughout my life. So, (laughs) um, yeah, which makes it a bit more resistant, I guess. And I also like the way they treated COVID-19 again, I think wasn't really quite a good approach because so the thing is with a virus that the body makes fever in order to eliminate that virus or fight it. And it's actually something that a holistic approach would let that high temperature just happen because it's important. Um, Otherwise, your body can't really fight the virus. And I think a lot of the approach of the modern medicine or Western medicine was more to kind of suppress that high temperature, that fever. And really kind of a wrong approach in my opinion, but I'm not a doctor, so <laughs> I could be very wrong. Yeah, and that, um, whole, that whole idea of kind of painting the virus as the enemy, I always find that very, very strange yeah. and unnatural since the viruses are so natural to our nature and our evolution as physical beings, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. a holistic view would certainly change that uh, attitude for sure. Yeah, it's the same with the Lyme disease. And for a long time, I kind of saw it as my enemy, but I'm thinking about it very differently now. It's it's not my enemy anymore. It's part of my life and it brought me to where I am now. And it's there for me to learn as well. And yeah, just looking at it differently somehow. Mm -hmm. And about 12 years ago, you and your husband moved to New Zealand. Can you talk about how you came to make that choice to live your dream there? And has it panned out as you hoped it would? I think it never pans out as you hope. <laughs> it's probably yep, just agree. life. I don't know. Um, <laughs> sure, I get that. For sure. Yeah, to the bigger part at that. But uh, yeah, you can never plan something like that. And yeah, so... Uh, For us, there were different factors why we chose to move to New Zealand. Uh, One thing was that we wanted to be more self-sufficient and uh, just really hard in Switzerland to be able to afford a property and have your own animals and and a big garden. Mm. Um, So New Zealand was really perfect for that. And the other thing is the space. So Europe is just really quite overcrowded, (laughs) a lot of people. And here it's, it's really nice and spacious and great nature. And I think those were really the, the driving factors uh, for us to move to New Zealand. My understanding is that you're about 20 or 25 kilometers from the nearest town or city, correct? Yeah, that would be about a 20, 25, something like that. I'm Essen- very bad with numbers. So essentially, you're literally off the grid. Uh, yeah, yes and no. It's hard. I mean, how do you define living off the grid? I think it's it's that you've got your own water supply and your own electricity. 
-hmm. we have got like we're connected to a water supply that just supplies the valley here so it's owned by the farmers as i understand it around here okay and we've got a big water tank on the property we have started installing some things for um, heating the water so that's off the electricity we've got some solar like tubes on the roof for heating it up with the sun and um we would love to have a big solar installation for making our own electricity. Uh, it's just a, a quite an expensive investment. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we weren't able to afford that. But, yeah, that's the ultimate goal. And we produce a lot of our own food, uh, a lot with herbs. I understand you have 80 varieties. Wow. Over 80. I'm adding as I go. I, I'm just crazy about herbs, really. <laughs> wow. do, do you sell them to the local community or local farmers? or A little bit. Yeah. I make some uh, products, some herbal teas and herbal creams, uh, natural products. Mm. And um, yeah, I sometimes give it out to people uh, depending. But I find that if you want to work with herbs, you kind of have to interact with them in a way uh, to get to know them and see them growing Mm -hmm. and yeah I think that's an important part really I mean there's only so much I can do that's why I'm not selling a lot of it yeah and just out of curiosity Nicole is there an interaction with the Maori community there where you've learned some things about the natural world through that culture no, sadly, sadly not. There are not a lot of Maoris in the area here. Okay. And yeah, I would actually love to connect with them at some stage and just learn what they use, especially just New Zealand native plants as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, hopefully further down the track, I might be able to do that at some stage. Yeah. Now, we've heard a lot about New Zealand, especially mm-hmm. recently over the last few years with your very upbeat and youthful Jacinda Ardern running the show there. And the fact that your fellow citizens elected one of the youngest prime ministers of any country on the planet, if not the youngest, to me says a lot about what New Zealanders stand for. What do you think the rest of the world can learn from the way New Zealanders approach life and the problems of society? Mm. Another big question there. Yeah, of course. We're full of big questions. We specialize specialize in big questions. I, I can tell, yeah. <laughs> no, I, know, I know it's not a perfect society. No society is. But the more I hear about it, the more I think, boy, that's a lovely country to live in. Yeah. So I think one big advantage here is that people really stick together um, in, in hard times. They mm. really, the sense of community and being there for each other. And I think that's the feeling I get get here a little bit it's like you know we're strong we can do this and 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 Mm -hmm. we just have to work together I think that's really amazing I just loved it about New Zealand Mm. and I think because the country is so far away from everything they're used to being creative about finding solutions and do it themselves in a way Uh and that's a big advantage really self-sufficient In a way, yes, as a country, yes, and and creative and finding solutions for problems. The team has decided to set me a challenge to see whether or not I can run through the last two years in two minutes. So here's some key headline achievements, not everything, but I'm going to see whether or not I can at least get some of it in. So 
start the clock. We've created 92,000 jobs. We've built more than 2,200 state houses. We've banned offshore speculators. We've planted 140 million trees. We've got better cancer care through radiation machines, Pharmac funding, and created a central cancer agency. We've delivered cheaper doctor's visits for over half a million people. We're taking mental health seriously with mental health advisors and GPs and doctors clinics across the country. We've increased minimum wage to $17.70. We've hired 2,000 more doctors and nurses. We're building more classrooms and schools for 100,000 students. We've brought unemployment to the lowest rate in 11 years. We've got the highest increase in wages in a decade. We've helped 1 million Kiwis pay their bills with their winter energy payment. We've boosted incomes for 384,000 families through the Families Package. We've increased school funding so parents don't have to pay school donations and NCEA fees. We're breaking the cycle of family and sexual violence with massive boosts in funding. We've deployed 1,607 new police officers. We've made state highways safer. We've banned single-use plastic bags. We've started the clean-up job on our rivers and lakes through planting trees and fencing waterways. We've supported young people into training and apprenticeships. We've introduced a free lunches in schools program. We've provided more funding for addiction treatment beds and services. We're paying teachers, nurses and police officers more. Having gone through some major changes in your life, is there a piece of advice uh, that uh, you might offer to people who are contemplating life-altering decisions like your own? Probably a few things that I could say just from what I've gone through or learned along the way. So one thing is that we're all unique and we're all different and we should pretty try and embrace that, that we've all got our own way to go. So I find it really hard nowadays that we're all pushed in one direction and that we should strive to have more money and have a big house or I don't know what. And that might be right for one person, but not for the other. And I think it's important that people really go their own way and and find their own way and find who they are and what they want in life and what's important for them. And another thing is to just really be open, especially when it comes to health and your body and look at different options and be open for them and not to be scared to maybe go a different path. Um, I think those are the most important things, really. <laughs> There's so many different ways and so many different options. And it's good to be open and look at them and consider them in a way. Right. And so, Nicole, all of this has culminated in you creating a lot of your own online videos and you've begun to create courses in your efforts to share your knowledge and experience aimed primarily at benefiting like-minded individuals and hopefully helping others with a similar story to your own. Where can we find out more about you and your courses and videos? How can you be reached? Yeah, so the courses and the videos, that's a very new thing I'm doing. Ah. I'm still getting getting used to that. Yeah, I've just I've just really put that out. That's that's very new. I've been doing workshops here on the property herbal workshops and things like that and just started turning them into online courses. I've got a website which is um WikiWell, so wikiwell.com, so W I C K I and then just well W E double L. And you can kind of go and find links to all my other pages. <laughs> I've got, got quite a few. So I've got a Facebook page. I've got a YouTube channel now, which you will find under WikiWell as, uh, as well. And I've got a 
online course website, which is separate from my website, but um, it's linked. So if you go onto my website, you should find all the other stuff, really. Is there anything else that you have uh, going on or anything else that you have planned in the near future? How about a book? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm a writer, you see, so I, I'm always looking for books. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you could write the book for me. I just tell you the story. I'm not very okay. good at like, I'd be happy to do writing that. stuff. I'd be happy oh, really? to do that. Yeah. Sure, absolutely. Okay, we'll, that, we'll sounds, that sounds like a good idea. We'll, <laughs> yeah, it would be nice in a way, but I don't think I'm a writer as such. I mean, I do write things like posts and, and stuff like that, but bundling it all, all up and into a book that... Yeah, maybe not for me, really. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so uh, I need some help. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know, I know that there are people listening who are interested in what you're doing, and not only the lifestyle, but the food, creating your own products, uh, living off the land, the self-sufficiency of the rest of it. So I'm sure many people that are listening to this podcast uh, will appreciate that information. And again, the website is wikiwell.com, W-I-C-K-I-W-E-L-L.com. Nikki, I just wanted to really thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure for us, too. This is the first podcast that we've done this far away. Um, Orangeville, Ontario to New Zealand. And you're right in the middle That's of the, amazing. You're right in the middle of the Southern Island, right? Yeah, I'm living in South Canterbury. That's just the area where I'm in. So Okay. Tell people what the closest major town or city to you is. The next bigger one that would be Timaru. And I think that's about 40, 45 k's away, something like that. Yeah. Okay. And there are smaller towns that are a bit closer. That would be fairly, that's uh, maybe 20, 25 k, something like that. Good question before we close. You left Switzerland at 27. Have you ever gone back since? At the start, so when we moved here first, I actually went back every year to Switzerland to work as a physio there just for a few months to keep my skills in a way oh. because I, I'm not registered here in New Zealand as a physiotherapist. That's quite a, quite a process to do that. Then it kind of, uh, yeah, the frequency just went down um, of, of going back to Switzerland. And I haven't been back in, yeah, maybe five, six years. So a wee while. <laughs> and we haven't said anything, and quickly here too, we haven't said anything about your partner. Obviously, your partner's been a big part of this entire experience. Yeah, a big part of it. And he's very good with um, building things and fixing things. And he's an electrician. Yeah, he's He's really quite a smart guy. <laughs> and um, yeah, I could, we'll could make, not we'll, have done it without him. <laughs> we'll, make sure, we'll make sure he hears that. <laughs> Before we say goodbye, Nicole, if you don't mind, I would like to bottle your laugh and market it because it's a wonderful, infectious laugh you have. And we need to hear okay, this. Thanks for we need to hear it. It's joyous. I love that laugh. It's yeah. a great laugh. So. I'm going to bottle it. <laughs> he likes the spontaneous combustion. <laughs> oh, I just can't help it, you know. I mean, it's, it's a troublesome world we're living in, so we should just laugh, you have, laugh a you bit have more. To la yeah, you have to laugh. Yes, yeah, to yes. raise our spirits. We, uh, need to, we need to find that laughter. Nicole, thank you very thank much. Thank you so much, Nicole. Uh, thank you so much for having me. That was uh, great for touch. the opportunity. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks. Take, take care. <laughs> take care. Bye. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production available at thesillpodcast.com.